This is Blood and Firewater, a true crime comedy discussion type podcast. We shoot tequila and chase it with a case of murder. Just as a disclaimer, this podcast contains mature content not suitable for all ages, so listener discretion is advised. So, hello, everyone, and welcome to Blood and Firewater podcast. I am your host, Rashad, and with me today is Lightbright. Dre is oh god are we gonna are we gonna talk about it now like should we talk about it now yeah go ahead uh, so we lost a member of the show my sister and that's <laughs> that's kind of why we just have not been recording um I don't know I just didn't I didn't feel comfortable talking about it on social media and stuff like that because you know you deserve that much anybody deserves that much so i mean i appreciate the people that asked about the show and have been concerned that was very much appreciated and they know who they are but yeah brandy passed away september 17th of 2021 we i had everything already wrote for the this next season already wrote and we were just trying to Make sure everybody's schedules lined up, and unfortunately, somebody was way ahead of schedule. Um, yeah, we're just, we're about to you know get better at doing that because like I'm I'm basically quarterback in this thing, so there's that. Anyway. We are a true crime comedy discussion type podcast, so don't be alarmed if you hear a slick joke or two or six. We keep the victims and their families out of the punchlines and focus more on other people, places, and things about the case. But first, if this is your first time listening, we... No, I already saw that. With all that out of the way, let's get into tonight's case and go back to 2012. In 2012, 16-year-old Skylar Niece disappeared from her home in Star City, West Virginia, around midnight on July 6th. This is one of those cases that has a layer of social media to do with it. A pretty thick layer. What this case does not have is a clear motive. But if anyone knows anything, it would definitely be Skylar's two besties, Sheila Eddy and Rachel Schoaf. Skylar Niece was born on February 10th, 1996, and an only child of Mary and David Niece. In academia, she was described exceeding in all subjects and was an honor student at University High School. Very lively, bubbly person, very loyal friend, and an inspiring criminal defense lawyer. In the second grade is when she met best friend and antagonist, Sheila Eddy. Sheila was also an only child and five months older than Skylar. So they were inseparable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Like one of those friends that, like, they come over one time and they just don't go home. Best, best fucking friends in the truest sense of the word. They started high school together in 2010. University High School is where the twosome met Rachel Schoaf, an aspiring actress and singer 
and from a relatively affluent family in the area. They all had two things in common. They were all only children and none of their parents were together at the time of starting high school. So in the beginning, the trio kind of rebelled as, as, as kids do, getting into minor troubles, drinking, smoking weed, breaking curfew, that, that kind of thing, nothing serious. The parents of Skylar and Rachel respectfully all agreed that Sheila was the rotten apple of the bunch. A mean girl scenario in real life. She was controlling, mean, and Skylar's other friends avoided her when she was with Sheila. Rachel's other friends also believed that Sheila was the main contribution to her change of behavior. Skylar, having been friends with Sheila since the second grade, being the loyal person that she was, wasn't about to break up a, life, a lifelong friendship. However, Rachel didn't really have the friendship history to want to keep something going that would tarnish the reputation that she already had. She was already popular. She was already from an affluent religious family and did need friendship for clout purposes. It's possible that Sheila was her escape from the monotony and the freedom to express herself and Sheila as to why she stuck around. That or or just being lesbos. Yes, no high school musical would be complete without the infamous lesbian sex scene. Outside the popular public opinion that Sheila was the bad seed, it's actually Rachel that caused the rift in the hierarchy of the friendship. One night in the summer of 2011, Rachel and Sheila had drunken sex at a sleepover with Skylar in attendance. The night ended with Skylar and Sheila arguing. As the connection between Sheila and Rachel grew, Skylar and Sheila's relationship dwindled. Rachel and Sheila would often be seen in somewhat matching outfits, leaving Skylar the odd one out. Wait, so are they all best friends? They were. They were, and then and two then of them started dating. The two started bumping uglies. Oh. And then, obviously, you got one. The gimp is left out. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm not calling Skylar a gimp, but. All right, continue. So they, they started wearing matching outfits leaving uh, Skylar out, they would begin to start exclusively hanging out with each other and, you know, telling each other secrets, omitting Skylar's presence, you know, kind of just breaking up the trio after scissoring me timbers. Mm. Sheila and Rachel both admitted to being sexually active outside of, you know, their, their thing and having boyfriends at the time. So in the friendship dynamic, Sheila and Rachel thought of Skylar as the third wheel, or the baby of the group. I think that's what it was. Expendable. You can just 86er out of the group. But the quiet one of the group also knows all the secrets. And Skylar threw a big flex on Twitter on September 6, 2011, Quote, I told the whole school all the shit I have on everyone, which is a lot with four T's. Hashtag, if I could get away with it, unquote. The plot thickens as the Twitter beef with Sheila and Skylar begin to worsen. I mean, okay, Twitter is a dangerous place. You said you had a Twitter before, but it was like... I don't know how to work Twitter. I I don't. Mm -hmm. So I, I can imagine... But I'm I'm trying to figure out what like these children are doing on Twitter, like because 
you know? I mean, like I said, I had one when I was, like, younger. Um, like, these kids younger? Like, yeah, like 13. And, you know, it, it was this was before OnlyFans, so. What? You didn't know that? I didn't know that. You learn yeah. something new every day about somebody. <laughs> so, it's just like you see all kinds of crazy posts on Twitter. And it's like a mix between, like, kids, adults. It's, it's just terrible. So, early June of 2012, Sheila and Skylar took a long, a, a week-long trip to Myrtle Beach. And they fought the entire time. I would, too, because Myrtle Beach is awful. There's something about Myrtle Beach that just brings the worst out of people. I don't know if you've ever been. I don't recommend you go back. Also, the week after, a string of tweets can be found for that week on Skylar's Twitter page that gives a glimpse into the trio's relationship status. Like, she was just firing off, like, just tweets. And, like, I'm trying to, to, I guess, like, you know, if your school has, like, a group or something like that, or you make a group so you don't necessarily, I don't know. Like, I, I just didn't. When I was her age, Twitter was like, even like even back in 2012 or 11, I didn't like I never I wasn't firing off tweets at my ops. You know what I'm saying? No, I know what you're saying. I wish you would hashtag don't try me. Like no, I'm not doing that. People doing that on Facebook like grown people. (laughs) Like hashtag you don't want these hands. What? (laughs) (laughs) But. As far as, like, Skylar's, like, tweets, bro, like, hold on. I got them right here. Like, these are all from June 9th. Uh, It doesn't have the time or whatever. It just says, just know I know. And no, I don't. I do not type like that. Fuck you. Yeah. Well, now I'm too fucking annoyed to sleep. Quote, unquote, love. And a liar. You're just a bad person as the bitches you complain about. Like, just firing them off. It's like, <laughs> you, homegirls, like, they're obviously on Twitter like that. So, maybe she was just, maybe she was starting to shit in the first place. But I'm not victim blaming. You know what I'm saying? But, like, if you go, if you, if somebody says something about you on Twitter, I guess. Let's use Twitter as an example. And then you see them outside in real life. Do you pull out the blicky or what's up with what you said on Twitter the other day? Like, let's let's talk about this. Let, let, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> what's that you said about on Twitter? <laughs> okay, so it was it was the tip of the iceberg for this situation. This feud had been brewing for a long time since uh, about October of 2011. Some students and teachers had reported that they had overheard a conversation between Sheila and Rachel about the best ways to dispose of a body. Coincidentally, weeks before a body was found, so that conversation didn't really just register to anyone or show up on anybody's radar as to have these two girls as a suspect. Some even closer to the group had specifically heard that they were trying to figure out a way to quote get rid of Skylar unquote Skylar had been told about the plot and she brushed it off like oh they're they're just playing some, some crazy game not at all cool game to play at all 
Skylar, you know, she confronted the girls about it and was like, hey, I heard y'all were talking about killing me and dumping my body somewhere. And the girls just kind of just blew it off like a joke. The real planning of her murder wouldn't come into fruition until the spring of 2012. Skylar apparently had some tea on the Rachel and Sheila situation that no one could ever know. And they feared that one day Skylar would one day blackmail them. Because they were in there making love. Okay. Are they still minors? You know, that is a pedophile-like, a pedophilic, pedophilic question to no, ask. No, because you're saying <laughs> shit like making love and buffing pussies. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I mean, okay. Let's let's be real. Having intercourse. So they had to eventually go to the extent of murder and then one day openly admitted that, half jokingly of course, they would quote unquote kill her during a science class. They remained a trio throughout the 2012 school year, but the ostracizing of Skylar from the group was more than obvious. And to Rachel and Sheila, Skylar became more of a threat. They were going to have to do something. They were going to have to do something soon. Because once she's out the group, she's going to start snitching them on them bumping pussies, you know. You you just call, I can't believe you really just called me a pedophile, but you're just over there. I said a pedophilic question to ask. Jesus. July 5th. 2012, Skylar came home from her shift at Wendy's around 10 o'clock p.m., kissed her parents goodnight, went into her room, and then tweeted this, quote, you doing shit like this is why I never will completely trust you, unquote. Around midnight, there was a phone call or a text exchange between Skylar and Sheila or Rachel. They asked if she wanted to go, like, you know what I mean, like, one of them, like, called Skylar but like it could have been Sheila Sheila's phone but Rachel was on the phone or vice versa mm-hmm. and then they asked if, if they wanted to go on like a blunt rod just you know just something they probably always did surveillance footage from the apartment complex shows Skylar sneaking out of her window via a small bench she frequently used as Sheila approached in her car with Rachel unbeknownst to Skylar there was a murder kit in the trunk. A shovel, gloves, a change of clothes, bleach, and towels. As I mentioned, this is something that they always did, and they probably used a usual stretch of road on their little blunt rides. But they headed into Morris Run Road, a familiar stretch of road that was used to visit Sheila's dad, who lived on the road, and conveniently belongs to the family of Sheila Eddie. Sheila parked the car about a mile into the road. They got out and talked. For some time, and as Skylar returned to the car to retrieve a lighter, Rachel and Sheila proceeded to count to three, then commenced the stabbing of Skylar with knives hidden by their hoodies. There was an effort to run by Skylar, but she was tackled, overwhelmed, and overpowered by the terrible twosome. She was stabbed repeatedly. Skylar was able to reach for a knife that she had on her, but was only able to nick above Rachel's ankle. You know how hard it is to say Rachel's ankle? Okay. As Skylar and Nice lay there bleeding to death, she asked her murderers the same question I think we all 
I have on our minds right now. Why? Why? The plan was to dispose of the body via unlawful burial. They go to the trunk, grab the shovels, and start digging. Little did they know about pedology, the soil would be too rocky in the area for the type of shovels that they brought. There's so many different types of shovels. I can't say that I would bring a shovel like maybe they brought. Maybe they brought like snow shovels. Yeah, just brought a plastic snow shovel. <laughs> and maybe they brought like some Fisher Price joints. I don't know. So instead, they moved the body next to a large tree and disguised it under rocks and leaves and branches. Whatever they could just, you know, find at the time. Then they turned her cell phone off and left it next to her body. Sheila and Rachel then washed themselves in a nearby creek, scissored me timbers, disposed of the knives and their clothes, and returned home before the sun rose. The only thing on the killer's minds was Sheila's retweet at 9.09 a.m. Quote, always keep your cool, unquote. Okay. That's, how about just don't tweet nothing? But I'm assuming Twitter was like just addictive, like something you just did every day. I mean, I tried, don't get me wrong. Like, shout out to anybody that <laughs> follows me on Twitter, but like, I have not been posting nothing. And like, I, I will get better, but like, ugh. the following day was just like any other day. Skylar's dad came home in the afternoon so she could use his car for work. Nothing out of the ordinary. But when he got home, Something was out of the ordinary. No one was home. And Skylar's room had been locked from the inside. Upon further investigation, he found the bench outside her bedroom window. His spidey senses kicked in, and he was able to deduct that his daughter had snuck out the night before. The open window with the bench was a dead giveaway. The first person he gives the old ringling ding-ding to is Sheila. She is obviously the best friend of Skylar's. Her number one partner in crime. If anybody knew where she was, it would be her. And she did. She definitely did know where she was. But she said she didn't. Had no idea. Sheila said she talked to her around midnight, but hadn't seen her. Okay. Fine. Small town. She's bound to turn up somewhere. Maybe fell asleep at Win uh, Wendy's. I don't know. Got up early to go to work. Something like that. So, Dad plans to call Wendy's to make sure, you know, she at least makes it to work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I guess that's, if your kid's like 16, 17 years old, like, maybe has a, a track record of sneaking out. And, like, you want to check on them, but you don't want to. You already called their phone, but it's off. So, you, you'll just call their job just to make sure she, they went to work, right? Mm-hmm. Wendy's actually beat them to the punch and called the niece family home asking about Skyla. Red flag for the family and for Wendy's. Somebody had to cover that shift. So the, fam so the family called the police and filed a missing persons report. Then Sheila called the niece family back and was, well, she was changing the story. She did see Skylar the night before because she picked her up and went for a ride. But it was between the hours of 11 and 12 when she dropped her back off at the end of her street. Then Skylar's mother's spidey senses kicked in 
she's known Sheila since she was eight years old. She was probably able to tell when that child was lying. She was probably treated, you know, in the family as like one of her own. Like you, you, you got one of those friends that you just grew up with and they, they, they were made to go to bed when you went to bed because they slept over that much. Nope. You ain't got friends like that? Nope. Okay. There are people. Okay. Either way, her mother used social media to her advantage, began digitally canvassing all of Skylar's accounts, as well as getting the word out that her daughter was at the time just still missing. We could have known that she was on the right path by this one Facebook post she posted. And I mean, it's not really that long. I guess I'll read it. Angel, she actually came home from work and snuck out of her bedroom window when I was in bed. Sound familiar? We have security cameras and they show her getting into a car with someone, but none of her closest friends seem to know anything and no one has seen or heard from her since. She has not even show or call work, so that is a little scary. That is all I know at this time, still trying to find out anything I can, but either no one knows or they're not talking. So Sheila and her mother show up to the niece's house in efforts to help search for their missing daughter, Skylar. The search started like any other search, canvassing the neighborhood, knocking on doors. In any situation, you would think someone saw something. But no one saw anything. Typical. Then the nieces requested the surveillance footage from the apartment complex for the hours around the time Skylar got home. Now, it's a bit grainy. Okay. But you can clearly make out silver-colored sedan pulling into the complex, then parked. From the foreground is Skylar running from the direction of her apartment, getting into the backseat, and then the car drives away. At this point, no one thinks this is Sheila's car, even though she openly admitted that she did pick up Skylar at 11 and rode around until 12. They took Sheila for her word, didn't rewind back far enough to actually see if her story checked out. They just went with the strange car story. Some reporters even put out that the car was a silver SUV, which it is clearly not. The picture is just it's just not that grainy like you don't confuse a toyota corolla with a pathfinder you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. the officer that arrived to view the footage gave his best two cents and instead of doing his job told the parents that it just looks like to him in his 45 days of experience that she'd run away from home with some guy and that maybe she'd be back in a couple of days a what that's what he said. All right. Now, Sheila had done her homework. I mean, she'd come to terms with the events that happened on the night of July 6th and knew it was time to turn on the waterworks. However, the detective assigned to the case, along with, the, with an FBI agent who was investigating a case that could be linked to this one, was in town. They brought Sheila into an interrogation room on July 9th. She told them the second story that she had made up. She picked her up at 11, dropped her back off at 12, and that was it. Then Sheila began to ask more questions than she was asked questions, as if she wanted to be a part of the investigation with the investigators at the same damn time, trying to figure out what they know. 
Let's not do that. You can't stroke the mic stand because I can hear that. Oh, I'm sorry. When she left the when she left the interrogation room, the police detectives noticed that Sheila drove a silver car that looked just like the one from the surveillance video. The following day, Rachel was called and she played dumb. She said she didn't know anything about Skylar's disappearance. She was away at a church camp and had left on the seventh. And the day before, she was on a boat <laughs> with her mom and her friend the whole day. Remember that cut on their ankle we talked about? Well, oh no, her mom and her mom's friends saw that shit, and they were like, "Fuck that on your ankle." I hope she has that scar forever. I wonder how big it is. I don't know. I didn't see a picture of it, but I'm sure, I hope it's ugly. Mm. It was agreed that when she got back from Bible camp, she would meet with investigators, but that never happened. So when investigators finally caught up with her, she regurgitated the same story Sheila told them. They picked her up, dropped her off at 12. At the end of Crawford Avenue, at a point where it intersects with University Avenue, basically, very far away from her apartment. I, we're talking like a long way. Like, it's a street. Hold on. You see where this blue dot is right up there? Mm. They dropped her off down here. What? Yeah. She just basically walked a whole mile to get home. They said that Skylar told them to drop her off there because Skylar didn't want to wake her parents up. That's the story. Wait, okay. Skylar stays in apartments, right? Mm -hmm. She snuck out and they were asleep. Yep. And she didn't want to go back to those same apartments and wake her parents. It'd be different if they lived in a house and, like, her bedroom was right there at the front. But like a gravel driveway and a dog outside. Yeah. They're in an apartment. Oh, that really? That don't make sense. But that wasn't the only problem. The problem was that the two girls' story was just literally identical. Almost like they rehearsed it and, you know, had the, it had the same cadence to it. Like, same breathing pattern. Just, just, just suspicious. But investigators didn't just have enough to hold the girls on anything either. As far as the search goes, no Amber Alert was issued because of the fact that the surveillance footage shows Skylar willingly getting into a car. An Amber Alert is only issued for abducted children, but no one even close to Skylar thought she had run away. It just wasn't logical. She had good friends, at least some good friends. She had a job. She was doing great in school. But more importantly, there were things that you won't forget when you're running away from home, like your phone charger or your contact lens case. Or I guess that's it, really. You're going to run away from home. And you wear glasses. You're going to bring your phone charger. Not to mention that she left the bench and the window open with the intent on coming back the same way she left. August 16th, the school year kicked off with no new information about the case than when it started. Denise's family had been highly aggravated about the situation and contacted the state police who immediately took the case. Warrants were issued to seize all of Rachel and Sheila's electronic communications. 
of the on the 3rd of September. And at this point in time, I don't think I've stressed how much these girls just tweeted during this entire time. Did I stress it? Mm-hmm. Okay. They had been in tweeting and Facebooking and possibly, possibly my spacing. Maybe. Nah, kick. Kicking. Mm-hmm. Kicking it. The entire time, but under investigation, tweeting had to be something that investigators just really didn't pay attention to. Instead, Sheila kept poking and prodding at the investigation, trying to figure out what the cops knew. The investigators picked up on her picking up on them and told the niece family not to tell Sheila anything. But once she picked up on that, Sheila started asking other people to get the information that she wanted to know. As confusing as that all just sounded. However, this would backfire. The walls of the high school started to talk, and as evidence left behind began to speak truths as well. Oh, and the state police and the FBI got involved, and the investigation started to just, just started to work, because, you know, they're picking up pieces of evidence. There was a subpoena issued for any electronical devices of Sheila and Rachel, and this is when Rachel started to crack. Oh, no. And not the drug. They rewatched the security tapes from the apartment complex and finally concluded that there was no sign of Sheila's car at 11 p.m. on the night Skylar went missing, and Rachel continued to crack. Then the authorities pointed out that they knew from the cell phone pings hitting towers that they were in the area the night Skylar went missing, and Rachel finally broke down and switched her story around. Rachel said, her and Sheila picked up Skylar. They got somewhere. Skylar got out and ran into the woods, and they weren't able to find her. That's her story. Mm. All right. Then Sheila changed her story to match Rachel's story. All right. But don't worry. The entire town knew that they had done, they had done it. But the main characters don't know that they knew yet. In theater, this is called dramatic irony. Rachel turns on the crazy and begins to fight with her parents, lock herself in a room for days at a time, and threaten suicide. It got to the point to where she had been hospitalized in a psychiatric ward. January 3rd, investigators go down to talk to Rachel again to kind of evaluate if they could even, you know, snap her psyche into any more pieces because that's what the FBI does. It just kind of break a motherfucker. But like, they can't do that when she's already broke. But when they went down to talk to Rachel, that she just kind of flat out just told them her and Sheila stabbed Skylar niece to death. Authorities asked why, and Rachel replied that they just didn't like her anymore. She was asked to show them the body, but at the time, there was way too much snow to access the location. In the meantime, authorities had Rachel basically Donnie Brasco herself into getting Sheila to confess. Rachel had set up a little hangout sesh with Sheila, but it was unsuccessful at getting her confession. January 16th, six months after Skylar niece went missing, her body was found. Investigators have the confession from Rachel. Now they have to pry one out of Sheila. 
A search warrant was obtained and the police confiscated all of the knives from her home as well as her car. By this point, Sheila was well aware that they found the body of Skylar, Rachel was talking, and they were after her. On March 13th, the information... Let's talk about how these children remained free this entire time. Jesus Christ, like, she went missing July. We're talking about March of the next year. Mm. They been went to school and everything. The whole school year. Prom. Homecoming. Homecoming. Pep rallies. Mm-hmm. They did Christmas and everything. Christmas. Anyway, on March 13th, the information about the body being found and identified as Skylar Nice was released to the public. According to the postmortem report, she had been stabbed 50 times. Sheila is free at this point, and she's tweeting and Facebooking away about how grief-stricken she is and how this could happen. I mean, I guess you can do that in jail nowadays. I see TikToks all the time of dudes in prison. Like It's, it's not that big a deal, I guess. April 1st, 2013, she then tweeted, quote, we really did go on three, unquote. Obviously, some breaking down from the guilt there. Kind of her way of confessing without really confessing. However, May 1st, 2013, Rachel surrendered herself to authorities and pled guilty to the murder of Skylar Nice. The prosecution agreed to recommend a 20-year sentence for a second-degree murder charge in exchange for a testimony against Sheila. September 4th, Sheila was then picked up while eating breakfast with her mother at Cracker Barrel. Sheila pled not guilty to the charges of murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. You want to know why I was a Cracker Barrel? Um, it's like, let's just go to this Cracker Barrel, let's have some, some food. And then they go out there, and there's a car parked next to their car, and they're like, just get in. Yeah, something like that. Her pretrial started January 24th, 2014, and Sheila broke down before the, that even started. In the court video, she's seen clutching her lawyer to keep her from collapsing on the floor, sobbing uncontrollably, just a bumbling mess. Then she changes her plea to guilty of first-degree murder. In exchange for her guilty plea, the prosecution agreed to an astonishing, astonishing, how many years do you think she got? Fifteen. You are correct. Yeah, you knew she got fifteen. No, I was just guessing. 15 years to life. She's looking at parole after 15 years for stabbing, being a part of stabbing somebody over 15 Rachel's trial began on February 2nd, and she accepted the sentence of 30 years with parole after 10. Jesus. 30 years? Mm-hmm. They're both serving their sentences miraculously at the same correctional center, uh, Lake Lakin. Lincoln Correctional Center. Sheila's first parole hearing will be May 1st, 2028, and Rachel's is May 1st, 2023. So Homegirl's like about to get out. May possibly. I mean, Jesus, 30, 30 years. Oh, and this they got sentenced in 2014? Oh my goodness. That was the case of Scholar Nice. We appreciate everyone for listening. We will get back to, po- uh, you know, putting episodes up on a regular basis. Um, 
yeah our, our socials are, have not changed uh although there's there's probably nothing new so though that's not changed either but they are instagram blood and fire water podcast twitter at bfw pod squad and snapchat at bfw pod squad i'm your host rashad over there light bright we'll see y'all next week mm-hmm.